I think it's called a bridge. I don't know. I can see. I can see how you deliver me. Thanks for making me do this. In your hands, in your feet, I found my victory. Read those words. I can see, I can see how you, how you deliver me. How? In his hands and in his feet, I find victory. From the words of Isaiah, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So Father, I just thank you, Lord. Um, I thank you for that truth. I thank you that what you are about in our lives is revealing yourself, not just to us, but through us. That we not only find our victory in your pierced hands and feet, but we find our purpose for living. But Lord, when we're in the middle of those struggles, when we're in the middle of receiving the scars, it's hard for us to remember that. So I pray right now with my brother Sean and my brothers and sisters in Christ who stand before you the only way we can, and that is in the shadow of your cross, that we would remember that you are conforming us into Christ-likeness and we cannot get to glory without being scarred. Because you didn't. But those momentary light afflictions are producing in us an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison. So we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary. All of this is going away. But the things that are unseen are eternal and are for your sons and daughters forever. So, Lord, as we continue to worship you now in your word, I pray that you would use it to conform us into the image of your son, that we would bring you glory for the fame of his name alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. Go ahead and have a seat. Grab your Bibles. Find Nehemiah. It's where we have been for the last couple of weeks. And I want to ask you a question what is different about God's people? So as you're finding Nehemiah, think about that for just a second. What is different about God's people? So let me ask you kind of a follow-up question. Does your mind immediately go to morality? Like when I ask the question, what is different about God's people, do you immediately start to think about behavior? Like we're supposed to be, um, we're supposed to behave better. We're supposed to be more moral, more pure, more whatever, whatever the thing is. The, the, the reality is we are, right? We are called to live distinctly different by the power of his spirit. But really, what is, what is different about God's people? Is it how we behave? What's different about God's people is God. Right? Like, like, but do you see how, I, the reason I ask the question is, do you see how fast we jump past the, the one this whole thing is about, just to get to how is that supposed to look in my life. We pursue Jesus as a means to the end. 
Maybe that end is eternal, is like eternity in heaven. Maybe you came to Christ because you heard a preacher say, if you don't come to Christ, you're going to hell. And you raised your hand and prayed a prayer because you're like, I don't want any part of that program, but I want to live, but, but I want to be in heaven. Maybe that's your end. Maybe the means to the end is just living in purity. You're struggling with some addiction issues, and you're like, yeah, you know what, I need, I, need to follow, I need to be in the Word every day, I need to follow hard after Christ, because that is the means by which I will behave more morally. Guys, if we follow Christ for the right reason, it isn't, it isn't to see Him as a means to an end. When you follow Christ for the right reason, you will find out He is the means, and He is the end. Right? He is, he is what you're pursuing, he is the power through which you can pursue it, and he is the end goal of all things. That is the story that God has been telling from the beginning. He is, he is about redeeming back his people in relationship to him for his glory, for relationship with him. And God's people, throughout this story, as we're reading in our D groups, and we're in some really messed up chapters in Genesis talking about some really messed up people. And, and guys, as, you, as we go through our D group readings in, in the Old Testament story, here's how you'll know you're really starting to get what I just was talking about. Am I pursuing God as a means to the end or as the means and the end? Here's how you know. When you read Genesis and you read about what a mess Abraham was and what a mess Isaac was and what a mess of a mess Jacob was, and you stop going, how in the world could God use these people? And instead you turn and you go, why in the world would God choose to save me? Right, when you start, because when you, that, at that moment you realize you are just as big a mess as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The whole story that God is telling is, I, you're all a mess. And I choose by my grace to use messed up people to display my glory in how I clean up the mess. But it's not about morality. It's about motivation. Where is our motivation? Are we living as kingdom people by kingdom power for kingdom glory? Or are we living just to have a better life now? And, and yeah, there's some, there's some great biblical principles there that Jesus taught that will help me live better. My family will be stronger. And that's why I follow Christ. Guys, there are a lot. I mean, we, I, I know I've spent a lot of time sort of lamenting the condition of the church in our country. I'm not planning on doing much of that today. Um, so, so amen and thank God for that. But guys, there are people, there are families, even, even in our faith family, and, and this was us for the first 10 or 15 years of my parenting, where, where I pursued biblical principles in my parenting even, just as an example, so that my family would be stronger. Because I thought, you know, the, the Bible is certainly much wiser than I am. I mean, I at least had that much going on. And I went, so I'm going to try and follow what, what the Bible is telling me to do to parent my family. But my, but my end was so that our family would be better, like stronger. We would love each other more. We would, we would have more peace in our home. We'd, those are all good things, and I still want those things, and I still want to pray for those things. But it wasn't until I realized that, that, no, I'm not pursuing biblical principles as a parent so that my family will be better. I'm pursuing biblical principles so that our family will show off God. He is the end. Right? And, and, and yet we quickly, what is supposed to be different about, what is supposed to be different about God's people, we, we will almost immediately forget God is what's different about God's people. Because we inject ourselves 
into his story so fast. And ultimately, that's where Nehemiah finds himself. That is the story of the Old Testament. If you have one of those Old Testament color maps, um, I hope you're using those during your D groups and during your D group readings. If you don't have one, they're on the Connect table. They're also on our website. You can just download it. Uh, the PDF is on there. But it talks about how throughout human history, throughout from, from before Abraham, from Adam and Eve in the garden, what God has been doing is pursuing us with his grace to fix the messes that we keep making. And here is poor Nehemiah, who now, two, well, 1,500 plus years after Abraham, after the time that we're in in our D group readings right now, he now finds himself in the midst of God's people who have been living in God's city for 100 years, and they have done nothing with the freedom that they have been given. So much like what's been going on in the church in the West for, for a couple of centuries now. Not just in America, but in, in Western Europe, the church has been given massive freedom for hundreds of years, and what have we done with it? We've created a bunch of lukewarm, very shallow, mile-wide, wide, inch-deep disciples of Christ. And that is not, that's why the world is in the mess that it's in. The world is in a mess that it's in because the church has stopped being the church. And so what we're going to see in Nehemiah is not a history lesson about Nehemiah, but flash it forward to what is going on in our world, in our country, in your family, in our church, in your life today. So the first thing we saw in week one, in, in chapter one, we talked about how Nehemiah was moved by the need. Here's this guy, he was born in captivity, had never been to Jerusalem, didn't know, any, didn't know anything about it other than what he had been taught through some tradition in his family, but he hears about the condition of God's people and it breaks his heart. So he prays and fasts for four months, King Artaxerxes gives him permission and letters and an escort to go to the city and start rebuilding. So he gets there, and, and last week we talked about how he rallies the troops by, by circling the city for three nights without telling anybody what was going on. And then he says, hey guys, here's why it matters. He doesn't start with, hey guys, I have a plan, and here's how we're going to pull it off. He's like, guys, here's why it matters. We, are a we were called by God to be a light to the nations. That is not a New Testament Christ thing. That is a Bible thing. That is what that was the promise God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 in our in our readings. Through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. They're supposed to be a light to the nations and they weren't. These people, Nehemiah, were not being that. And he's like we are we're not only not a light, we are a reproach. People are mocking us and because they can mock us very like just legitimately, they can mock our God. And I mentioned last week how a lukewarm, disengaged, professing, like Chris, person who professes faith in Christ is presenting a weak, small God. And that is an affront to the God of the universe. And, and so we do not want to be a part, a part of that program. So today, what we're going to look at is in chapter 3, we're going to look at how we, need to, how we need to know that we are in this Together, So the next thing Nehemiah is going to do is he's going to help them see that the only way that we're going, to, we're going to turn the ship and get the glory of the kingdom of God rebuilt is if we do this thing together. And that's what we're going to see today in this, in this message. Now, the passage we're going to be in is in, is in Nehemiah chapter 3. If you did your daily readings this morning, as Josh mentioned in our, um, in our, during our prayer time, you read chapter 3. And you might have read it and gone, what in the world? Like, how am I supposed to get anything out of this? Great. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. That just means this is a rough one. A lot of people that teach through Nehemiah skip chapter 3 altogether. Because there isn't a whole lot there. 
but there is. And I'm going to show you what, what the there is. But the teaching today will be very different. This piece of scripture in particular, all of Nehemiah, but this piece of scripture and chapter 7 in particular are what's called a historical narrative. So in the Bible, there's lots of different kinds of literature because the Bible was written over several thousand years by many different authors. So there are things like Paul's epistles, letters. Those are, that's just a fancy word for letters. And when Paul writes a letter, he is writing a letter to plead a case and make an argument. That's why his letters are so easy to teach through because all I have to do is follow his argument and I can just preach God's word real easy because he made the argument for me and he knows a whole lot more about it than I do. Peter's a little bit that way. But it's also why like the Gospel of John and the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are a little harder to understand. Because although they are a, they're a Gospel writing and they are an epistle, John was a Jew. And, so he, and, we'll, and we'll see this here in a few minutes, even in this passage. So his brain, Paul was trained as a Greek. He, 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 was, he thought like we do as Westerners. He would start at the beginning of an argument and he would make the case until he got to the end of the argument. John was like this. Because this is what, how Near Eastern, Jewish, Hebrew, Aramaic people think. They think in cycles. They think in circles. I'll let you in a little secret. Jesus was one of those people. So he thought that way too. So we have to be able to not see God's story just as a linear beginning to an end, but it is a series of cycles. Again, you'll see that on that Old Testament map. If you're looking at that, there's just a ton of great information on there. But you've got to see that God is a God of, of cycles. And we're going to see that again today as well. But the, when we get to things like historical narratives, sometimes they're a little dry. That's why we're, as we go through the, part of why we're, we're I'm, when I came up with the D group readings for the Old Testament, I'm not having us read every chapter. Because I know you people. Because I know this person, and you will die a slow and painful death if I make you read every chapter in Leviticus. You just will, because I have to fight through it every time I read through the Bible in a year. So instead, I picked one chapter in Leviticus that is the most important chapter for the story God's telling. But why is Leviticus so dry? Because it's a narrative, and it's telling a historical account of here's what actually happened. And I've mentioned this a few times already in the first two weeks. All of this history that you see in here, even in Nehemiah, guys, you do not have to go to the Bible to see that this happened, right? There are extra biblical accounts of this world history, and we should take great comfort in the fact that this is not written to be a history book, but it confirms all of world history. There is nothing in here that you would look at and go, wait a minute, history does not prove this. This proves world history. And so I, 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 I love that. So, but, but, but part of what's going to happen today in my teaching is I'm going to be unlike normally where I would start at the, in verse 1 and I would just read through every, every verse of chapter 3 and we would go through my points. I'm going to be all over chapter 3 today. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will put one in it because we're going to want to be in it because we're going to move fairly fast. We have a lot of things to talk about. But, but I'm going to be jumping from place to place just to show you why is when we come to Scripture... Because part of what we're trying to get better at here at Cornerstone is how do we teach people to teach the Word of God. So what I'm doing right now by explaining all of this to you is not just explaining what, about the This is not just an introduction to the message today. This is to help you teach other people how to come to the Word of God. So when you come to the Word of God, one of the first questions we want to ask is, if we really believe the, the passage that Kim quoted, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is inspired by God. That includes the boring parts. 
all scripture is inspired by God. So we need to ask the question this morning when you were sitting there fighting through your daily reading going, I don't know why Doug had me read this. Ask the question, why is this in the Bible? Because God didn't put anything in here that he didn't want in here, if it's all inspired. So ask the question, why is this here? And then he'll start, the Holy Spirit will start to reveal to you some answers. So that's kind of what I'm going to do. And what we're going to see is that, here's the, here's the big idea for today. So because right, I, I keep forgetting to even say it, so I thought maybe if I call it something like the big idea, I'll remember. So the big idea for today is, what is, how is the church supposed to be different than every other organization on the planet? That's our question for the day. That's our big idea. And what we're going to see is that the church, God's people, are God's called out ones, uniquely gifted, working together to build God's kingdom. That's what this chapter is in the Bible for. Did you get that out of that you're reading this morning? That the, the church are God's called out people, uniquely gifted, working together to build the kingdom of God. That's what chapter 3 is about. That's why it's in the Bible. Did you know that? Did you get that out of today's reading? So, so let me prove it to you. So here we go. We're going to pick it up in our first point, And we're going to see that, that the church is different than any other organization because they are God's called out ones. So in verse 1 of chapter 3 it says, Then, Elish, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with, the, with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. Now, guys, in this chapter, there are 11 gates mentioned and four towers. But here's, we're not going to go through them all. I'm not teaching through this whole chapter. Praise the Lord. But, but here's what they're doing. Just like last week, I talked about how Nehemiah, I think I said circumvented, but I meant circumnavigated. Circumvent would be like completely different and wrong. So he circumnavigated the, the old, what, what is the old city of Jerusalem? What was the only city of Jerusalem when he was there? Here's what, here's what this list of these 11 gates are doing. They're starting at the, at the northeast part, and they're working counterclockwise around the city of Jerusalem, and he ends the account, look at verse 32, at the very end of the chapter, and between the upper chamber and the corner, the sheep gate, and the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired it. So all I'm saying is, he starts at the sheep gate, and he ends in the full circle going around Jerusalem, back at the sheep gate. So what? Here's what. This is how God communicates. Guys, think about this. Genesis chapter 1, where are Adam and Eve? Eden, inner garden. Revelation 21 and 22, where are we going to be? With God. He's going to be our God. He's going to be actually with us again, just like he was in the garden. Where are we going to be? In a garden. In a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem, new tree of life. All those things are going to be there. Do you not see the circle in that? The, the idea is God is, and, and in between that, there are all these circles in God's stories that are, in God's story that is telling us about how he is telling the story of redeeming grace, rebellion, redeeming grace, rebellion. Because that's what this book is about. This book is about, this book, Nehemiah, is about re, a revival of a remnant. As, as they get back to um, remembering the covenant they had with God, as they get back to being in relationship with him and one another, this is what this book, this is what God's story is about. So I don't want to over-spiritualize the idea that Nehemiah is making this case for this circular argument, but ultimately, that is how God communicates. He's like, All, my goal, you started in a garden, my goal is to get you back in a garden. 
that, and that's what I'm going to do in the end. And that's part of why Nehemiah writes it this way. Now, I, I look at that and I say, okay, that's great, but, but what, about, what about the rest of the story? Let me show you real quick. Turn, keep your finger in Nehemiah. Turn to John chapter 5. I want to show you sort of a part of, of another account of God's story that, that shows how, ev- that how even God will, will work in little details. John 5, John 5, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's fifth, fourth book of your New Testament. John chapter 5. I want to show you how God works. He, he didn't just tell this story in Nehemiah and go, now you're never going to hear about any of that ever again. Look at how, now we're flashing forward 400 plus years to the time of Christ. This is Jesus. He's an adult. He's been preaching for a while. It says in John 5, verse 1, After this, there was, a, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool. By the who gate? Sheep gate. Where do we just see sheep gate? Nehemiah. Same gate. In fact, Nehemiah rebuilding it back in 444 B.C. is part of how it's still around when Jesus shows up. Now, by the time Jesus shows up, Herod has made a lot of improvements. But let's keep going. It says, there was in Jerusalem a sheep gate in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which had five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, guys, I want, I, again, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but I want, I want you to stop and think a minute. Nehemiah, 444 B.C. He's, want, he's, he's riding around the city, looking around, going, this place is in shambles. The, God's city, Jerusalem, was the church in the Old Testament. That's where the presence of the glory of God dwelled. Just like now we are the temple, and together we are the, build, the body of Christ. So he, here he is. He is, he is looking around at all of these broken down gates, all of these broken down stones, and going, why doesn't God's people, why don't God's people care about all this brokenness that's, that, that is diminishing God's glory? Now, now flash forward to the time of Jesus. For 440 something or 500 years later, a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Guys, do you understand what like they're saying? He's saying, here we are in the city of God, where God's people are to be a light to the nations, and the city is walking by these broken people doing nothing for them day in and day out. Now, flash forward, so, so Nehemiah, the, the brokenness were the walls. It wasn't about a wall, but the brokenness that he used was the walls. The brokenness Christ is going to use here is the physical brokenness of, of, of the invalids. And, and he's going to point to, why, guys, why don't you care? Why don't you care about this? Now flash forward to today. For you and I, the brokenness around us is people's spiritual condition. Guys, every barista at Starbucks that doesn't know Christ, every person at the grocery store you attend, every place at the gym you work out, every, per, every, student, every fellow student in the school you go to that doesn't know Christ is, as, is far more broken in every way that matters than being blind, lame, and paralyzed. And the church is walking by them every day. Do you see the cycle? Has anything changed in the human condition? So, so we need to... So, so I'm just going to skip in the interest of time. What happens is Jesus heals this man who has been an invalid for 38 years. 
He heals him. He's like, get up, get your mat and go. Come on, let's go. He gets up, he goes. It was the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are all upset. You're not, who told you to pick up your mat? That's work. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Dude's like, this is the Troy paraphrase, obviously. Dude, you can read it yourself, John 5. The dude's like, uh, that man that healed me, he told me to get up. Who's that man? Guys, do you understand just how hypocritical and how hard-hearted the people of God had become? Here are the people that are supposed to be leading the people of God. And instead of rejoicing with this fellow human being made in the image of God, who has never, who has not walked for 38 years, and what they're worried about is that he's walking on the Sabbath? Okay, let's, let's jump over here. Back to our time. If what we're worried about is that people voted Democrat? Yeah, I get it. I just stepped on a whole lot of toes. I get it. I don't care. That's a bad heart. Guys, that is Phariseeism to the max. And, it, and we, guys, I'll let you know a secret. Doug, not the spirit anointed Doug, Doug the fleshed out Doug, doesn't like that people voted Democrat either. I don't, because I not, yeah, I don't have time for that. I stick to your notes. My point isn't, my point is to you guys, it is so easy to read a book like Nehemiah and go, I don't, okay, yeah, it was great, awesome, build the wall. Or to even read this passage out of John and go, yeah, okay, I said, but guys, we gotta, we gotta look and go, and how are we any different today? So let's go back to Nehemiah. Let's go back to Nehemiah. So there's this cyclicalism, but there's also this corporate witness that we see in this first part of God's called out. Well, well let, me, let me go back for a second. Before I, I, I forgot to make a, a little point here that's kind of important because you're like, okay, but Doug, what you read were these names I couldn't pronounce, like Eliashib, who is a high priest, and his sons who are the priests. Okay, those are the called. They were, they, were from the fa- they were from the tribe of Levi, from the family that had been called out to be priests. That's not me, you say. I'm not a called out one like that. They were supposed to be busy rebuilding the kingdom of God because they were called out as priests. Oh, wait a second. Right, one of my favorite passages, 1 Peter 2.9, what's it say? For you, now New Testament believers, for you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. That you is plural you, you all. Not you the pastor, y'all. Y'all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that we will, procl- we will proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Guys, we are verse 1. We're the called out ones. Now, look and see. Not, it's not just God's people, though. Look at verse 5 when it says, and the Tekoites repaired. Well, the Tekoites, you don't know who those people are. It's okay. I didn't either until I was studying the passage. The Tekoites lived about 12 miles from Jerusalem. They weren't part of God's people in Jerusalem. They were, they were the people that Amos talked to, the, the prophet Amos. They're 12 miles away. You jump down to verse 7, and it says the Gibeonites and the, and the Maranathites, and, the, and so Gibeon and the Mizpah, and they were all working together. And they're like, wait a second. Well, these, are not, these are not the people in Jerusalem. These are not the people in the church. What's happening here? Here's what's happening. God's people are getting excited about doing something for God's glory, and that is infectious. That is how God has built his kingdom from day one. These other workers start joining in the glory of God building because they are drawn to the energy of it. Guys, that is exactly what happens in the New Testament. Right? In Acts chapter 2, 
when he says, when it says, day, so this is after Pentecost, day by day, they're, they're in the temple, and they're house to house, they're breaking bread, and they're, and they're receiving their food together with gladness, it says, and they're, they have generous hearts, and then it says, and God, and they had found favor with God and all the people, and God was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is how God attracts people to the kingdom of God. When people see the kingdom people working together, they're like, yeah, I don't really know what's going on there, but I, I want to find out what, I want to, they're drawn to the energy of it. All of a sudden, so these people from all over are now drawn to this energy because, because God has always been a relational God, and that's how he's grown his kingdom, is through relationship. This relationship and this one. That's why you can't be a lone wolf Christian. Because there's no opportunity to display the glory of God in the one another's. But, it's, but he also grows relationship, or, but he also grows his kingdom through giftedness. And that's our second point. So how is the church meant to be different? First, we're the called out ones, right, uniquely gifted. Now, I'm not going to belabor this point at all because, one, Kim did, knocked it out of the park for the gospel moment in making, in just one, and how she shared and what she shared, but in two, in just making the point. She's sitting there struggling with, I don't really know how my giftedness fits into the body of Christ. And God, through prayer and time in the word, shows her, here's your gift, gift of encouragement. It is a spiritual gift. And here's how you can use it in the body of Christ. That's, guys, in, in Nehemiah, what, what Nehemiah is showing us in chapter 3 is it takes all kinds of people to rebuild God's kingdom. There's over 40 sections of rebuilding and repairing going along, going, mentioned in this chapter. 40 different sections, all being worked on by different teams of people, gifted uniquely, but fit together. Now in the Spirit, like in, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit does that for us. That's the passage that RJ read as our calling passage. The whole body being fit together by the Holy Spirit, building itself up in love. I talked about this when I taught on the church a few weeks ago. So again, go back and listen to that message. But if you don't know your gifting, if you don't know what it is and how it fits, we have resources on our connect table to help you figure that out. To start looking at what are the gifts, how am I gifted, to just walk through Kim's story. I would encourage you to, not even encourage you. Guys, you know how I talk, I've talked a lot about how there's, I just said it a minute ago, there's no lone wolf Christians. There's no place in scripture for the person that says, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm just not into church. That is not biblical. I'm not talking about the missionary who lives in the only place where there's only one Christian, so he has nobody to be in fellowship with. That's not you. You don't live there. Don't use that as an excuse. I'm talking about the person who for years has said, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, but I just am not into that church thing because church is full of hypocrites and church is full of jerks and church is full of this and church is full of that. Yes, yes, and amen. It is. We are. It's part of what God uses to grow us and to, to, to scar us. Guys, I have been scarred by more people in the church than out of the church. My, my family has been scarred by more people in the church than out of the church. And we have learned to embrace it for, this, for the reason that song, what Sean shared. Because it makes us look more like Christ. So, just like there, there's no place for lone wolf Christians, there's also no place in the body of Christ for the person that says, I'm a Christian, I attend a church, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, I belong to Cornerstone, I'm a member of Cornerstone, but I'm not into that whole serving thing, I'm just too busy. I can't use my giftedness. Guys, there just is no place in scripture for that. There is no place in scripture for the person that says, I don't really see where I have to serve. 
I don't really care what you see or don't see. I will tell you right here, this tell, this, Jesus mandates it. Right? And so does Paul. And so does Peter. So we need, we need to just be obedient. There's no place for that. But it also is true that God is the one who creates that unity in the body of Christ. Right? Like, 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 like we, like this, what, all these, all these, to get all this togetherness that we're about to see in a, in a minute in this chapter are, are spirit anointed in the body of Christ. We're the ones that bring the division to it. But their common purpose, working together to get this wall rebuilt, is what got them excited. It's what got other people excited about what they were doing. Because, guys, the, the, and I, again, I mentioned, I know I'm already sharing too much of what I shared in that message a few weeks ago on the church. The body of Christ needs every part of the body of Christ. Every kind of gifting. And every body part needs the body. Remember the analogy I used? If, you're, if, if an arm got lopped off and it's laying, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that body of Christ thing in the church. Well, first of all, the rest of the body is standing here going, hey, thanks a lot. That's, you're, you're nothing. You're a lot of help. That's awesome. Thanks. And that arm ain't going to last very long. And that's what we see happening. If anything, if COVID has done anything really damaging, it has been that very thing in the body of Christ. It has been giving people an easy out to step away from being engaged in the family of God. And it is, it is kill, literally killing people. Di- suicide rates, divorce rates, abuse rates. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it's just wholly unhealthy. Okay, so how is the church supposed to be different than every other entity, other organization in the world? It's God, God's called out ones, uniquely gifted, Right? Working together. Working together. So if, if you look at, if you look at, at this, this idea, I, I want to say how many times, I can't even, I, I stopped counting at like 20 something. Look at, look at verse 2. And next to him, the men of Jericho. Look at verse 4. And next to them, Merimoth. Verse 5. And next to them, the Tekoites. Verse 7. And next to them, Verse 9, and next to them, verse 10, and next to them, and next to him in verse 12, if you jump down to like something like verse 16, and after Nehemiah, the son of Ezebuk, and verse 17, and after, and guys, it just, what's the point? Here's the point. It's this beautiful picture of being in relationship together, shoulder to shoulder. It's what Brian Tootin has shown us a couple years ago when he brought the picture, it's the shield wall. And you're going to see next week in chapter 4 of Nehemiah where that shield wall of the togetherness of working shoulder to shoulder becomes like life and death important in the face of hostility. In the face of a culture that is increasingly hostile, this, we're going to see in chapter 4, it's where this leads. First, Nehemiah is painting this picture of these people were glued together next to this one, next to this one, shoulder to shoulder, working together in relationship to see God's glory revealed that is not a new thing right in in Zephaniah which is one of the prophets that that prophesied during this time said this for at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them will call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord Nehemiah or sorry, Zephaniah was prophesying about what we see happening in chapter 3. He's saying, God is saying, I will move on the people to do 
to, to work shoulder to shoulder. Do you think they all got along all the time? No. Do you think that, they all, that some of them were having to work alongside people that, where they had a brutal history towards each other? Probably. Why? Because they're people. Right? We know people have relational issues. We all do. I do. You do. We all do. This was not about they're all working together singing kumbaya. This is about people willing to put down their differences because they know they're part of a bigger story. And it was the glory of God. I'm going to invite Scott McAllister to come up here in just a minute. But before I do, I want, I, one of the, right before Paul writes what, what we read in the calling passage about the church. In the beginning of chapter 4 of Ephesians, if you're taking notes, Ephesians 1 through, I don't know, 8 or 10. He says, therefore I implore you as a prisoner of God, walk worthy in the manner in which you have been called. Walk worthy of the gospel that has saved you. And then he says, desperate to keep the unity of the faith. Because we don't create the unity. Jesus creates the unity. His spirit creates it. What Paul's telling us is, Jesus, the spirit created the unity. We're just guilty of the division. Adam and Eve were guilty of the division. Cain and Abel, pretty guilty of the division. You look at what we see in Jacob and, and Esau, pretty guilty of the division. It's all, you're going to see it throughout your readings in the Old Testament this semester. It is we that create the division. God creates the unity. And Paul goes on in that passage to say, and may you be eager, be desperate to maintain the unity of the faith because, and then he lists all these words, there is one spirit, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Lord, one Father of all who is in all. He's like, he wants to drive this point home of, guys, if you are part of the body of Christ, you are one supernatural entity. Like one supernatural, like, so we have to be about that. But it's not just with the people that we see here. Some of these people probably never saw each other. If you worked across town, if your section of the wall was over here on the east side and their section was on the west side, you may have never saw those people. It didn't mean you weren't part of the same kingdom building project. So one of the things I asked um, Scott, if you want to come up, I want him to share a little bit about how we are in relationship, whether you know it or not, we're in relationship with kingdom-building people literally all over the globe. And so I wanted to ask Scott to share that because he knows more about it than anybody here. Hey guys, um, for those who, who don't know me, my name is Scott McAllister, and uh, I'm just happy to be able to share with you some really, really incredible things. You're, you're probably going to have a mind-blown moment, because that's what's really happened for us, because we have stepped back and watched God work. And so I just want to encourage all of us to make sure that we have our attention directed to the Lord in all that you're going to see, because his name is Jehovah, and he will not share his glory with another. So... If you're, if you're like, oh, wow, that's awesome, like, give the thanks where it's due because it's all to God, okay? So, um, but it's going to get really exciting what I'm going to show you. But first, I want to do a little exercise. I'm going to need some kids to help me. Can I get some kids to come up here? And I don't know, this, this might be a bad idea. We're going to see how this works. So <laughs> can any kids come help me? Anyone? To hammer home what Pastor Doug has been saying. I had this visual aid in my mind. I've never done this before, and this might be really just, we'll see. So, hold this real quick. 
Okay, so I have a deck of cards here, all right? Now, I need you guys to spread out evenly around, the, kind of around me, even, all around me. That would be good. I have a deck of cards, and I'm going to read a passage that's been kind of a life verse. The Lord showed this to me a number of years ago, and uh, it really just was a mind-blowing moment. So it's, there's two categories of all of us, of, of humanity for all of us. Okay, we're in this. Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. So what I'm going to do is a little game called 52-card pickup. Crazy. Okay, let's see how, many, how long it takes for all of us to gather together. Ready, go. Gather, 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 gather. Oh, cool. Are we done? We get. We got it. Okay, I got one card. Oh, wow, you got a lot of cards. Cool. So there's like 54 cards, I think, because the jokers are in here. I was only able to get in that time one card, but because I had a really awesome team here gathering with me, and we got to gather all 54 cards in like less than 10 seconds. Is that fair to, to answer, right? All right, good job, you guys. Will someone, will someone head this up and put those back together? Great. So you guys, we're on God's team, and we're gathering with him. And what the Lord has revealed to me is that moment by moment, day by day, we get to either gather with the Lord, or if we're gathering to us, we're literally scattering away from him. Because our, our nature wants to gather to us. Oh, yeah, you guys are good. Thank you so much. <laughs> Sorry, you guys did an awesome job. So moment by moment, every day of our lives, we get, a, we get an opportunity to, to gather with Jesus, to gather to him. But if we get in our flesh and we start saying, hey, look at me, then we're actually scattering away from him. And so it's true for all of us. And uh, I just wanted to kind of get you to think about that. All right, so now let's talk about what God is doing um, because this is really, really cool. If you would have told me at the beginning of 2020 what was about to happen, I would have said, you're, you're out of your mind. There's no way. Um, but God did something unbelievable, and you guys get to hear about it. And some of you are know about it, and some of you guys have been integral parts of it, and some of you might hear for the first time. But um, check this out. Matthew uh, chapter 16 is really cool. Matthew 16. Start in verse uh, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so what God has done in 2020, in a year that has been an epic failure for a lot of people, it's been like a Debbie Downer for most people if you think about Sorry, Debbie. <laughs> For most of us, we didn't accomplish or go on the vacations or do the things that we were hoping to do. It just really was a mess. It just really was a downer, right? But in a year where maybe we see the enemy pushing his agenda forward, God says, not in my house. 
<laughs> the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church will always forward and progress the word of God in the kingdom of heaven. The church has been doing it for 2,000 years, and we are continuing in this chapter that we live in, and it's super exciting to see how God is moving mountains and doing the impossible, and you're about to witness this, and I'm going to tell you that everything that I get, like the back, back view of all this going on, and I'm telling you, fasting, praying, just crazy sacrifices going on to, to do what God has done this year. So uh, I prepared a little video that's going to walk you through all of what's going on, God had, um, God had prepared my heart to get engaged on a level that I didn't think I had time for. But God did it, and he made it happen. So you, Cornerstone, have been partners, whether you knew it or not, with ministry partners around the world that are doing kingdom stuff that you're just going to be blown away with. So check out what God has done in 2020. Yay, God. Yeah. You see, our, our God is amazing. Our God's on the move, and it may feel like the enemy's doing his thing, but guess what? God always has a counter move. He's actually 10 steps ahead of the enemy, you guys. And the kingdom of God is advancing, and you guys are a part of that. So everyone that's been a part of it, thank you so much. Um, you know who you are, and for those who don't know anything about some of this stuff, but you want to know more, come talk to me afterwards. I can even show you some more videos of what's going on, but I'm telling you, God has done some unbelievable things, and uh, that's just a small fraction of, of what's been going on. So God bless you guys. I hope you're encouraged, um, and be blessed. So cool. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, and that is, I mean, it's, I know some of you are like, wow, I didn't know any of that. And, you know, shame on me and shame on us for not sharing that more. And we're going to figure that out as we move forward and all the things that God's doing. But um, I'm going to have the music team come up and the team that prepares for communion um, as, as I make the last point. Because the last point really is what you just saw and what you've heard. And so if, if we talk about how is the church meant to be different than any other organization in the world, we are God's called out people uniquely gifted, working together to build God's kingdom. And, and, and it's, what, it's what Scott just said. He said, the kingdom of God is on the move. And, and the burden that the Lord put on my heart, actually, about the middle of the COVID time, was that we, I'm just going to, um, there's some of the verses are going to come up on the screen, so I'm going to pull them up. But as we get ready to go into this um, time of response, guys, we need to start talking more like kingdom people. I think part of why God's people in Nehemiah, part of why God's people in that, in that scene in, in John, when Jesus like, was, was there at the, um, at the pool of Bethsaida, part, part of why they stopped being on God's mission is because they started defining themselves by some other kingdom. They, stopped, they, they forgot whose kingdom they're really part of and what kingdom they're moving towards and what kingdom they're building. And kingdom speak is all over the Bible. It's all over the New Testament. In fact, and so I just, just to sort of make the point that we are called to build God's kingdom, I'm just going to read these verses and then pray, and we'll go into our time of response. It says, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. 
for I was sent for this purpose. In Luke, and it's not going to come up, but in Luke 9, he says, before, but as, as for you, you see, this is his charge to his disciples, as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Not just the gospel. Go and proclaim the kingdom, because the gospel story is a kingdom story. And in Acts, so after Jesus is resurrected and he sends his spirit, it says, but when they believed Philip, the evangelist, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, and that the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized men and women. Guys, kingdom speak is, we, we have got to start seeing ourselves, our identity has got to change. We have to see ourselves as kingdom people living by kingdom power for kingdom glory. Do you need more proof than this? And this is how I'll close. I'm just going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that your name. Holy is your name, O Lord. You will not share that holy name with another. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom, Lord. Not ours. Not Cornerstone Church. Not the Troyer family. Not Doug. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day all that we need. Our daily bread. Give us all that we need to sustain us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, I pray that we would remember that we are called to forgive because we have been forgiven. That we are called to embrace with love those that are not like us. Because we're not like you and you embrace us. And we're called to remember that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.